With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Hey, welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball. All basketball, all the time. What I thought I would do with this week's podcast is continue our discussion with some of the most colorful coaches in, in the sport. And, you know, I, I jostle between the idea of a pro coach or a pro player. I got one coming up next week. And a college player. So what I thought I would do was reach out to a guy who was a pro for over a decade was one of the most decorated high school players uh, in Southern California history. He began his career at Duke, played for national championship, transferred to Utah, and now is an assistant coach newly named at BYU. His name's Chris Burgess, and he'll be joining me a little bit later on in the pod. I, I, I want to uh, promote a couple things. One, please download, subscribe, rate. If you haven't done any of those three things, I don't know how you got to this podcast, but that I'm told helps us out. Whatever you guys seem to like and eat up these pods. We got some really good ones upcoming. I got a bunch of people reaching out because everybody in hoop seems to be listening to them. So thank you so much. Download, subscribe, rate, tell a friend, forward it on to them, make, put it in their queue. Try and listen to the Doug Gottlieb show, which is daily three to six Eastern time, 12 to three Pacific. Uh, it's available on Fox sports radio, any of our affiliates as well. And, um, um, it's a growing show. We've been doing it for a long time. It does not just deal with basketball, although sometimes this time of year it feels like it might. So that's a that's an important kind of distinction, if you will. Um, and I'm I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you this, but you can also listen to it on Sirius Channel two seventeen, XM channel two oh three. So plus all of our Fox Sports Radio affiliates, plus our iHeartRadio app. You can listen to us just about everywhere. But anyway, thanks so much for putting me in your queue. Chris Burgess upcoming. Maybe a couple thoughts on a couple of different series in the NBA. I want to start with Kyrie Irving, who you ever do this as a parent 
where the whole time you're growing up, you're like, man, when I get to be a dad, I'm going to do things differently. And I, I do things differently than my father. I'm much more positive about my son. I'm much more of a hugger, much more of a lover. I try and focus on process as opposed to result. But I will tell you that in coaching my son and frankly, in dealing with my daughters, oftentimes my default is fall back to what your dad taught you. And you become, you sound like, you're like, man, I sound like my dad. I sound like my dad. My dad used to drink Cokes with lemons in them, right? Then he moved to Diet Coke. I essentially do the same thing only with uh, Arnold Palmer's, right? Like it's one drink over and over and over and over and over again. I'm just a creature of habit. He used to get up and read his paper every day. I get up and use Twitter to get to my newsfeed, which takes me to kind of my digital paper every day. Like, and then the words you use and, you know, like sometimes you, you, you're coaching and he was a guy that would jump kids. And I like, man, I sound and feel like my dad. And whether it's his real father who's a basketball player, and I think some of that's this, or whether it's his basketball father who's LeBron James or his big brother, it feels like Kyrie Irving's become his dad, his, his mentor. He, the things that Kyrie says are just the same sort of arrogance, um, aloofness, where everyone thinks he's bright, everyone thinks he knows the sport, no one's questioning his talent, but... Man, he says some things that make you really, really uncomfortable. Doesn't that sound like LeBron James? The difference is LeBron James wins more. He's a more dynamic player. He's just bigger, stronger, and frankly better. And when you win and you have the image of LeBron James, you're able to get away with saying some of these things and doing some of the things that he's done. I'd offer up that Kyrie has become like his big brother or like his dad, sort of, in his aloofness and the way he handles himself, not knowing his real dad, just knowing his basketball dad who's LeBron James. And then, and then the Boston Celtics are a classic case of what happens when you take talent over character or pieces that don't fit together. The Celtics are absolutely more talented this year with Kyrie than they were last year. So too is the rest of the league, especially the Eastern Conference. That should be noted. Like the Bucks are actually good. They've been good all year. They had the best defense in the league all year. It shouldn't be surprising that they took the Celtics out of everything they want to do. That's what they do. But the chemical makeup wasn't the right fit for Brad Stevens. It wasn't the right fit for each other. And they never got out of their team what they should have gotten out of their team. And I'm sure the team will be better because of it. And Kyrie and whoever else departs will go on to great careers and will say, well, maybe it's Brad. No, it's just sometimes a bunch of ingredients together don't make a great meal. Let's move on to the Lakers where, look, this is what happens when you have an inexperienced owner an inexperienced GM, no assistant GM. You have the LeBron faction and the desire to separate yourself on some level from being team LeBron. And then you have the pull from others saying like, let's just give LeBron what he wants and see if he can figure it out. And sometimes you just overthink it, which feels a little bit like this deal. If Tyron Lue says, I want five years and you offered three. All right. So you started low. That's negotiation. But at the end of the day, you got like, all right, let's just, get this head coaching thing done and get it off our plate. But instead you pissed him off. And once you disrespect somebody, whether it's putting Jason Kidd in the staff or dictating terms of length of contract, they understand this is not somebody I want to work for. I, I want the only way in which you succeed in sports is when everybody's pulling the same direction, right? Jimbo Fisher said that when he got to, 
Texas A&M. Obviously, it was a shot at Florida State. But it's, it's true. The only way you get somewhere and somewhere great is when everybody's pulling in the same direction. And the Lakers have the, the LeBron faction, the Kobe fraction. I don't know what Magic wants other than to be a cheerleader. You got Jeannie, her brothers. I mean, it's a mess. It's a mess. And when stories like this get out, combined with the story of the Anthony Davis trade getting out, combined with the Magic, Magic Johnson pulling the trigger on his own presidency and making that public, and then LeBron has his TV show talking about it and about just being bewildered and upset and not getting it and no one telling him, you're a coach, you're like, that has no chance of succeeding because the only way you succeed is if everybody's pulling the same direction. All right, let's get to the Warriors and the Rockets. Um, here's my thing on the Rockets. I understand analytics, and I think they obviously do. On the other hand, they, they kind of help make the argument for us that analytics aren't the only answer. When they signed Carmelo Anthony, and of course they had already made the trade for Chris Paul, because Chris Paul's more of a mid-range guy, pick-and-roll guy, although he can drive and kick, but he's not really a three-point shooter. It's not really who he is. They, they made this case for, for the mid-range and for post-up, post-ups. And it's interesting. You, of, of the things that have happened that have allowed the Warriors to, they won two games and look, they could have won game three. They could have won game four, and they got badly outplayed. They did win game five even without Kevin Durant. I think the Warriors are the far superior team. Not When I say far superior, I don't mean like one team shouldn't be in the playoffs, but they're the better team. I don't know if they'll win this series, and if they don't, it's more of an indictment on Houston than it is on Golden State because Golden State doesn't have um, DeMarcus Cousins. They don't have Kevin Durant. They just don't. And for two games... You might be able to you know, win. All you got to do is win one of them. It's really all you got to do is win one of them. Over a seven-game series, I don't think they would be able to win the series without Kevin Durant. And, of course, you don't have Cousins. You might get him back next series. You might not. I don't know. So I think it's, But I think it's also an indictment on their style. Like, you need to throw it in the post a little bit and let everybody else space out, maybe cut. But just the idea of constantly attacking with ISOs, constantly attacking with ball screens, like it's just you need to vary things a little bit. They don't run creative sets. They don't run creative kind of ball movement, pistol stuff into a ball screen, trying to create downhill action. They just set a ball screen, get the mismatch they want, and go. That's kind of all they do if James Harden has the basketball. And though the stats and analytics would tell you post-ups, post-ups are bad, okay? The fact is that when Golden State needs a bucket, they do one of three things. And one of those things they do is throw it into Kevin Durant in the post. And, of course, they run some cutting action off him, some splits off of him. And they allow him also to isolate and go one-on-one. Why? Because it lets everybody else take a break. And so sometimes a tough two or a, or a post-up two is not a bad thing. Also can get you fouled. You can find a mismatch and shoot over somebody, which becomes a higher percentage shot than analytics would tell you. But isn't it fascinating that maybe the thing people are missing on is this, you know, layups, threes, free throws thing in an NBA playoff series, even when the other teams without two starters might not work. And I know you're going to, if Golden State pulls it off, you'll say, well, that doesn't that indict how great Kevin Durant is? Because if anybody else lost their best player, I give you the Boston Celtics last year. 
They didn't have their two best players. They went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Why? Because you can win games on emotion and energy and guys playing above their level. You can. You don't win big that way, but you can win that way. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's get to our guest. Uh, his name is Chris Burgess. He's a longtime friend of mine. Played against each other in high school. Heck, I played at his practices when he was in sixth or seventh grade, and I was in eighth grade. And he's the assistant coach of BYU. He was a first-team All-American coming out of high school, Woodbridge High School. He went to Duke as a McDonald's All-American. First, um, in the immediate, you guys were at Utah Valley. And for people who don't know, Utah Valley is like, what, uh, four miles from Provo? It's, it's, I think it's like 4.5. In fact, on the I-15, it's the exact same exit. You just drive further up the, towards the mountain for BYU. So, yeah, about four and a half miles away. 
I mean, so do you, I mean, usually when you change jobs, you have to relocate. Do you keep your kids in the yeah. same school? Do you move them into Provo schools? Like, how does that work? I'm actually going to stay in the same home, keep the kids. I've got a freshman in high school, so I don't want to move her at all. I like where she's at. And so we've been in, in this area near Provo, just outside Provo for four years, having been at Utah Valley. So when you can move jobs, right, in Division One and coaching, in the coaching world and not have to move and keep some stability, I, I was, I was, uh, I was all for it, and so yeah, we are staying in the same school, same home, everything. Is it is it weird at all? And weird by by two different parts. Is it weird because one, you guys left one school and you're going to? I mean, I think every obviously the BYU thing is huge. I, I, I yeah. just, but also for you, you were a candidate to 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 be the head coach. Like, is it weird yeah. at all to be around Utah Valley? Um, no, I've got, so Eric Daniels is still who I worked with the last four years, Donnie Daniels' son, by the way. So Eric Daniels is still on staff there and Mark Madsen I've known for a while. So, you know, and those players, most of those are players are the guys that we, we help recruit, I help recruit. And so, um, it's, it's not weird. Um, I drive by it on my way to work here at BYU every day and, and I, I've closed that chapter of my life, but I have a lot of good memories and like good feelings towards that place, even though I didn't get um, the head coaching job and interviewed for it and everything because because I do think it's in good hands with uh, with Mad Dog and, and I'm cheering for guys like Eric Daniels because that dude I went to war with that guy for four straight years. Um, what's that? What's the phone call like though when you don't get the job? Um, you know, you're disappointed at first because you feel like you, you put in all the work to try to become a head coach mentally and physically. Um, you help build. Um, a program that was ranked 322 four years ago, according to Ken Palm. And I think right now the season ended as 101. And so we actually looked at it statistically. It's the second biggest jump in a four-year span behind Nevada, what Musk did in Nevada. And so you feel like you're really part of that. And I think that, you know, the feeling is, is like, hey, when a coach gets promoted to a, a better job, right, uh, a better paying job, higher major job, all these different things, you feel like they – Maybe an in-house move is the is the right decision. Um, whether it was myself or the other assistant I worked with, Cody Seeger. Um, and when you don't get it, there's disappointment. But at the same time, you know, I, I reached out to I had already had been reaching out to Pope throughout this process, and I knew there was a great chance that I would still kind of land on my feet um, at BYU, which is still like after four years being in Division One college coaching. Like, I'm, I'm moving up, which is the, the ultimate goal. So I'll, I'll hopefully get another shot at some point in a Division One head coaching job. There's disappointment, but at the same time, like, I'm always like that next play, next play mentality. And so it's like, all right, let's go crush it at BYU. Okay, so I want to get into BYU because there's a lot of the BYU stuff that I'm intrigued by. But yeah. I want to but, – but before we get there, I now want to kind of go back. All right, so you grew up in Irvine. Right. In, did you grow up in the Woodbridge yep. district? Is that where you, you grew up? Cause like I only, I didn't yeah. meet you until you're, you're playing with Shea Cotton's team the year I, I stayed back. Yeah. So when I first moved to Irvine back in, I think 1986, first came back to Southern California. Anyway, it was Woodbridge. So I grew up in the Woodbridge district. Okay. So your first, where'd you first start playing hoop? Um, high school or no, just before that in general, in general. So locally, I started just like the Irvine City, and then Pat Barrett and David Ka- Stan Castleton, David's dad at the time, had started that kind of PTI AAU team, Performance Training Institute team that we were practicing there in Anaheim. You know, the Anaheim Convention Center Hotel, whatever is right there, and so we were practicing there, and that's where that 
sixth grade team started the fifth sixth grade team started the form of Shea Cotton, David Castleton, Jason Hart. Um, I was always playing up um, Brad Williams, right? Um, and so that's why I started. And then PTI eventually grew into uh, SCA Southern California All Stars, and and you know with there's only so many you know Southern California AAU teams. Uh, Branch West being one, SCA being one, um, of course, ARC with the Twins, K-Swiss with Paul Pierce and Baron Davis. And so, and then, uh, Slam and Jam, right? Those were kind of the main teams. And I kind of, I stuck, I stuck it out with coach, coach Pat Barrett. And up until my last, honestly, like I played once July circuit with, with SCA and Pat was flying in all these different dudes from all over the country that I bounced like my last couple of tournaments and, and went with a, a Utah based team. That's fascinating. Um, it's interesting. So the names for people who you're, you're tracking all these names. Okay. So, yeah. um, David, where the hell did David Castleton end up playing? He played at Southern Utah. So he went to, uh, he played up at Fullerton. He ended up at Fullerton after he went junior college. I think he went to OCC yeah. Orange Coast college for a year or two. And then he ended up playing at Fullerton. And then um, Brad Williams, the other name you brought up, he played football at Notre Dame. He actually yeah. grew up, his house was literally right behind mine. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're like I two guys that, that played, went to Notre Dame. And I don't know if he, I have no idea what happened to Brad. His, par- his parents don't live in that house anymore. But here's how, how far back I go with Brad Williams. We first moved to California in 81. My dad was an assistant at Long Beach State. And his yep. mom used to babysit me after school. <laughs> and this is all I remember about 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 it was they had a pool which i thought was the greatest thing ever because we didn't have a pool of course um his mom raised dachshunds like she bred dachshunds which were among the most annoying dogs on earth and they had a conversion van they were like the first the only people i knew had a conversion (laughs) van that had a tv in it and we used to play on i think we used to play the same football team and some same basketball teams whatever and he was a year younger than me but he was a behemoth and I used to love going to games with his parents because we'd watch TV in the van, like up until game time, and we'd come scurrying out of the van. Yeah. His dad, his dad was just as big as Brad, right? I remember his dad, if I remember right, his dad was big, strong, but just this like teddy bear of a guy, like just yeah. funny. Like, but his, yeah, so it was Big Brad. We always called him Big Brad, and then we had Brad Smith on the team. I don't know if you remember him, but he played at Long Beach State, and that was yep. little Brad. So, yeah. That's a, that's a, it's amazing. And then Jason Hart. And so what happened was when you guys were in, I'm going to say sixth grade, you guys were like the best team in the country. And yeah. I was in eighth, I think I was eighth grade and I stayed back or maybe you guys were in seventh grade. And I, anyway, I had no team to play with. So I played with a team in LA yeah. um, and I played in a league at Westchester high school. I played, we played yeah. in leagues in Compton college. And, uh, and then I practiced with you guys a couple of days a week. And I mean, you guys were, un- it was an unbelievable, like if you go back and look, like there's unbelievable players kind of in that gym. Why do you think, yeah. I know Shay has a, Shay has a documentary out there. Um, yeah. I mean, like I want to get into your career, but why do you think Shay never made it? Well, he was, he was the same size. I thought from eight, seven, seven, eight, nine, all the way to his senior, it was kind of the same size, right? Like, he was just bigger, stronger, and more developed than every one of us. I mean, he was a good almost two years because he had stayed back. He was like a good year and a half, two years older than 
than me and some other guys. And so it's, he was just so developed. And I think he just had so many distractions, right? Where James Cotton, his brother, went to Miami State, less distractions. And he ended up making, I think, a roster with the Sonics for a little bit. I just think there were so many people pulling at Shea, wanting him to go here, wanting a piece of him there, wanting a piece of him there. And at one point, he retires from high school basketball, right? Is that, that sound right? I can't really. I want to say he starts at Bosco, right? Transfers to modern day. Senior year, transfers back to Bosco and decides to retire. Right, so there was just so many distractions. To get ready for co- like it was the most bizarre thing, and for people who don't know, what we're talking about Shea Cotton was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. This yep. is the year before Kevin Garnett declared out of high school to go to the pros. That that he could be, you know, the next, you know, the first he could be the next Moses Malone. Right, that was Shea Cotton That's was right. that big, left handed, yeah. six right. five. I guess Physical. he was a two three, which is which is interesting. Which is kind of like you. He was kind of born too soon a little bit. Did he need yeah. to shoot it better? Like, yeah, he never shot the ball nearly well enough. But it's interesting, like the way in which you play center. You played center as like a stretch five, like yeah. and and rim protector defensively. Like now, yeah. you'd be golden. Whereas back then it was like, why is Burgess out here shooting threes when he needs to you know score with his back to the basket? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not wrong, am I? No, it's hundred percent. It's hundred percent true. Okay, and Shea's the same yeah. way. Like now, Shea was. They wanted to make him into a guard, and like, dude, he's not a guard. He's like a three-four, and now he could actually yeah. play for. Again, he would have to have improved his shooting, but it is interesting yeah. on how basketball. It's like you guys were born a little bit too soon. Yeah, yep. And, and he had he had some weird things like the retirement from high school, then you know committing to UCLA and it not working out and then eventually ending up at Long Beach City and then Alabama had a solid year at Alabama right with Grizzard and Mo Williams I think he averaged 13 and he's all newcomer team with the SEC and just leaves right even though everyone's like not getting drafted not getting drafted not getting drafted but just leave I mean this dude went against Ron Mercer's team Oak Hill in high school and he's the best player on the floor right he goes against uh, Marbury's team Lincoln out of New York when he's at modern day and Shea's the best player on the floor I mean this dude is he was so good. I witnessed it for like <laughs> my whole my whole childhood and, and and high school career. Really, really amazing. Um, okay, let's 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 talk about you. So you go to Modern Day yeah. your first year, and okay. I remember that team because the worst game I had in my high school career was against <laughs> that team at Ocean View. I had a triple double, yeah. and one, and I think it was like eleven turnovers, something crazy. And that yeah. team, tell me if I'm wrong here. So Miles Simon was. I'm yes. going to say a senior, right? Senior. You had Darren Height, who I grew up playing with. You had Mike senior. Carrick, who I grew up playing with. Um, you had you. You had Mike Vukovic, who played at UC Santa Barbara. You had, you had this yep. freshman group of you, yep. uh, Kevin Augustine. Augustine. Kevin Augustine. Uh-huh. Yep. And me, Vukovic. And then Clay McKnight was a junior. Okay, um, he played at Pacific. He's one of the great sport. shooters in the yep. history of college basketball. And then Sean, right, whose brothers had played before. Sean Jackson, who played at Wyoming, Sean Jackson. Yep, Sean Jackson. And then Josh Porter, who I think went to Cal Poly. Yeah, and his son's son's one of the best uh, teenage baseball players in in America, by the way. Yeah, I mean, mean, like that was an – you might have had David Drakeford, too. Was Drakeford the same year? No, he wasn't there with me. He wasn't there with me. Yeah, Drakeford must have been the year before he went to Oregon State. So this is all one team at Modern Day. And you had this great group of freshmen. Why'd you leave? Yes. Um, wasn't comfortable. I loved, I loved Coach Manai. I loved the staff. Um, as a freshman on modern day, um, 
just wasn't ready, wasn't comfortable. I, I grew up in the public school system in Irvine, missed my friends, you know, missed, like, started not really liking the game. I was a baseball player as well, and they kind of just stuck me on the baseball team, this, like, frost off team that wasn't really good. And, you know, I'm a 14, 15-year-old kid at the time, and, like, baseball was a big deal in my life. And, like, my buddies back at Woodbridge were all playing. And I, I honestly just – honestly just even though I lived at home, I got homesick of just um, being kind of modern day and just not knowing a ton of guys, right? And so that's why I transferred – I was I went to my dad, and I was like, I just want to go back and play with play with the guys I grew up, grew up with, the guys I grew up playing baseball with, the guys I grew up playing City League with. Like, I still think we had a chance to be really, really good at Woodbridge, and – this is what I want to do. And it was tough. Like my dad was, my dad was kind of bummed. Like he really loved the whole modern day. He loved McKnight. He loved the fact that I'm getting my butt kicked every day in practice. Right. And it was going to be another year with Sean Jackson coming back. Um, but ultimately I just wasn't having as much fun. And it might've been because I was a 14 year old kid just getting my butt kicked every single freaking day um, by division one players. And, no, and listen, listen, the, the reason, reason, I mean, look, the, the reason I didn't go to modern day now, I didn't go to a, I didn't, my, I, I grew up, um, you know, you could walk to El Medina High School where my brother and sister went. Yeah. And honestly, you probably could walk or ride your bike to Foothill High School. Instead, I went to Tustin High School because right. Tom McCluskey was the coach and I, it was, they won the state yeah. championship. I just felt like it was really good. I just, I didn't dig the whole modern day thing. And then what I came yeah. to really embrace is I didn't mind not having the best players. Like, I, I know that's for some yeah. people. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's interesting, kind of the modern day thing has been copied 50 times over now. Um, but, but I didn't mind like in hindsight, like we didn't win. We lost in the CIF finals to Dominguez my senior year. And it, and I remember my, my junior year, those guys, we, we played Dominguez in at Compton college. And I mean, we had guys that just pissed down their leg, right? They were so scared. Yeah, of course. And it was, (laughs) but, but I, I actually kind of enjoyed the process. It was a lot like what it was like to play it at Oklahoma state where like you, I would, I'd prefer to do it that way as opposed to the kind of put together all-star team way where you just, you have better players than everybody else. 95% of the time. Um, I think it builds. And I do, I agree with you in the baseball thing. I I will tell you like my thing, it, I was a baseball player. I wasn't, I wasn't as good as, as you were at baseball, but I love baseball. Tustin was really, really good. And my really thing was, like, are. my freshman year, we went to the state tournament in in basketball. And by the time I came out of it, like, everybody had positions. And I got stuck. Same thing, like, frost soft team. And I was a catcher. And they're like, well, we you have catchers. You got to play second base and third base. And, like, there's rockets coming down my way. I'm like, mm. yeah. So, so you go to so you, so you go to Woodbridge, okay? Yeah. And you have this unbelievable high school career. Yeah. Um. And you got a decision to make. Now, here's where it comes back to the BYU-Utah thing. Right. What was it about BYU out of high school? I mean, there was a ton of pressure from the Mormon yeah. church, right, to, to go to BYU. Yeah. What was BYU like when you came out of high school? So I, I grew up in kind of a BYU family. Like, of course, my dad went there, right? So, I'm, And it's just like every Mormon kid, right, that's all over the world. Like, you know about BYU, and you, and you know about the school and what it represents. And so I've always kind of like went to a ton of football games and watched them on TV. If they ever were on TV, anytime I was in Utah during growing up, I, I'd come to a game at the Marriott Center. So I knew all about BYU. And the, I didn't, like there was no social media or I wasn't in the state of Utah where I felt a ton of pressure about going there. I genuinely liked um, the state of Utah and having fam- some family there. I liked the fact um, 
that there was like 20,000 fans. You got to play in this big arena, right? The Marriott Center. I loved the coaching staff and because and, they'd been recruiting me the longest and the hardest since my freshman year. Because you have a six foot nine freshman, 14 year old kid out of Southern California, of course they're going to do their homework and recruit you. And so I had a great uh, relationship with staff. And it was Coach Archbold was an assistant, Tony Engel was an assistant, and then, of course, Reed, Coach Roger Reed was the head coach. So I had such, they had cultivated such good relationships with me on, on all ends that like, I had thoroughly enjoyed those. Um, being around those coaches and then there was a good recruiting class for the class of 97 with Britton Johnson right McDonald's All-American out of Salt Lake um, McKelly Wesley an All-State kid who who ended up being Mount West player of the year his senior year at BYU um, Michael Johnson a Seattle-based kid who ended up signing at UW so there was like a good class and so I was intrigued like hey like we gotta we have something going here now BYU was really struggling the time my senior year. I think they actually finished the year one in twenty six, right, or one in twenty seven, and and so to me it was not really. It was more about what I could accomplish at Duke in terms of winning national championship, Final Fours, um, playing the ACC, right, going against North Carolina and Dean Smith and these things, and so that kind of was a. It was, it was about that for me, and then they had signed a really good class. And that was kind of the last piece of the puzzle with Shane Battier and William Avery and Elton Brand. And I thought, man, this is, you know, we grew up in the era of the Fab Five, too, right? So I'm like, oh, man, this is a Fab Four type thing. And we're going to go to the Final Fours, National Championship, just like C. Webb and those guys did. And this time we're going to win it, right? You have all these, these dreams and aspirations of what you think can happen with your career. And I think it was more about that and, um, than anything, right? It was more about that than anything. It's kind of interesting, right? It's it does. It's like history repeats itself a little bit. Where you went to modern day to play kind yeah. of with a dream team, you weren't yep. comfortable. You go to Duke to play kind of with a dream team. We played you guys <laughs> your freshman year in the yeah, tournament. Yeah, we did. That's right. It was a great game. Games yeah. tied with two and a half to go, and Coach yeah. Sutton never called. He didn't call plays. And all of a sudden, he starts yelling out, and he's doing some symbol like ma- making his hands like spread out. And I, I, I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. And it was really loud <laughs> in Lexington. So I called timeout. And we ran up. And he was just, she was like, oh, I'm just telling you to spread out. I'm just telling you to spread out. And I was like, well, <laughs> shit, you didn't have to make some hand signal. I thought I was missing a play call, you know? Anyway, we run, we ran a play called Cowboy Fade. And Adrian yeah. Peterson, it's just, it said uh, that kind of 2 1 2 set hit me in the middle. And then we have, you know, flares on each side. And I go to Adrian Peterson, and he's open for a catch and shoot, but instead he drove in and missed a, missed a drive. And Rashad McLeod was just so – it was just such a hard matchup for us at the time. He kicked our – he yeah. scored like two straight buckets. We missed a couple, and then we fouled. We ended up losing by six. But that team, for people who don't remember, okay? So Wojo was a senior. Ricky Price yes. was in the doghouse as a senior. We grew up, I grew up playing against Slick Rick. Uh, yep. Nate James, Taman Domzowski, like got – zero burn like Taman Taman Domzowski and you on the same team like that's a lot of big white guys but it was yeah. it was the three B's zero right burn. you Batty Ape and Brand were the freshmen yeah. with William Avery Chris Carowell Trajan Langdon and then Rashawn McLeod yeah. who was his first transfer right out of out of Rutgers what 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 was what was your Duke experience like uh, it was good. It really was. Like, I enjoyed my time there. And some of my closest friends to this day are not only, like, guys I played with from my first year there, but, like, some of the classmates I had. Like, I enjoyed it. I learned I learned so much from Coach in terms of, like, you were not, like he was all about, like, the name on the front of your jersey, right? And it didn't matter who he recruited, whether it was Elton, whether it was, like, Okafor, whether it's Marvin Bagley. No one's bigger than Coach K, right? And no one's bigger than Duke or his program. And that's what he was so good about, Um 
like it was for him it was all about like culture the program and, and motivation and playing hard right and he never there was no no overcomplicating anything like obviously i played from a jersey utah and i know we'll get there but it was it was like hey we're gonna play hard on these guys we're gonna play it this way it doesn't matter what they run we're gonna show on ball screens and we're gonna front the post or we're gonna, you know what i mean we're gonna get up the line and make it difficult yep. to pass and we're gonna spend 10 percent of our uh, on scouting and 90 percent on us right and you can do that because you got eight mcdonald's all americans and three four future lottery picks on the team but i like that i i i, I like that I, and i I, I, I got to play like in a Maui Classic. I got to play in a lead eight in a national championship game. And I got all these experiences that you dream of as a kid, right? You dream of as a kid. And so my experience was really good. It was, it was just, uh, like you said, I'm not an ACC back to the basket five, man. I was never comfortable that way. And I'm, and I'm a six eleven, probably like two thirty pound, you know, center in AC trying to go against, Brendan Haywood, who's seven one and two hundred seventy pounds, and Elton Brand every day in practice. Who's you know? So it's just I'm not an ACC center. I'm not a back to back again. That's how I saw it. Well, he also wasn't willing. He, we weren't at the point in time when he was really willing to evolve and to have a face up five, right? Right, right. I mean, yeah, that's, that's really kind of what it what it comes down to is we were. It was a. It's like a different era. You mentioned the national yeah. championship game. Uh, your last game at Duke was in Tampa uh-huh. against UConn. Rip Hamilton yeah. and um, uh, Khalid Abdul, uh, Khalid um, Elamine, uh, Khalid Elamine. Sorry, and you lost that game. That was that was a we shocked the world uh, upset. Yeah. What do you remember yeah. about the game? Um, they they just they locked up Elton. I remember that Elton was the player there that year, and they I swear they had Bosco and Edmund Saunders banging him from behind, like you know pushing him on him from behind, and they had. Um, Kevin Freeman, who is now an assistant at Penn State, you know, yeah. front him, and they just they absolutely locked up Elton. We couldn't we couldn't get Elton going. Trajan had a great game, I do remember that, and then Ricky Moore was kind of the X factor for UConn um, point guard. He wasn't a scorer; he was more a facilitator. Uh, yeah. But he scored the first like twelve, you know, he has twelve points the first half, and he's he's kicking Will Avery, who was his high school teammate's butt, and then we had zero answer for Rip Hamilton, zero answer. And he was, I mean, this is before analytics, right, where it was mid-range after curl, after curl, after curl, after curl. And I remember it being a really good game, back and forth, back and forth. And Khalid hits two free throws with, what, nine seconds left to go up three. We come down, we give the ball, of course, to our senior, Trajan Langdon, or our junior, who was probably, you know, he's really, a, I mean, no, he was a senior. Yeah, senior Trajan Langdon, he comes down and we don't get a shot off. They, they double him and cause a turnover. And when it ends, right, it ends, it's because it's so hard. I don't understand. It's so hard to get to a Final Four, let alone a national championship game. It's so hard, and the season is so long. And when that buzzer goes off, regardless of the celebration and the fans, regardless of anything, it just comes, like, flooding down on you of, like, we were so close. Like, we may never get back here. Like, it's over. Like, I remember that, like, overwhelming feeling of, like, are you kidding? Like this was really hard just to get to this point and nothing showed it. So anytime I watch a national championship game to this day, I feel for the, like I felt for Texas tech. I like, I'm looking at Matt, uh, Matt Mooney and being like, it's the, and I didn't play. I mean, I mean, what was I 12 minutes a game, 14 minutes a game. I'm looking at Matt Mooney and Owens, these guys, and I'm like Culver. I'm like, this is the worst feeling in the world because 
you're going to remember that for the rest of your life, that feeling and that so close, but didn't get it. Like, it's almost like I'd rather, I, I, I'd rather lose in the lead eight. Like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. I lost in the lead eight my last game. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with you. Um, but yes, Fair like enough. literally Fair nobody enough. remembers your team. You go from, it's no. the Seinfeld always says it about the Olympics, right? Like gold yeah, medal, right. bronze medal, silver medal, I mean, silver medal, bronze medal, never heard of them, right? So never heard I, of I, I tell you, like Elite Eight, we had a great team my senior year. I mean, like a great yeah. team. And uh, we were a little bit ahead of the curve. We, play, we, we played mostly four out, one in. Um, but we ran into Florida, who was just crazy talented. We had yeah. some guys that were a little bit under the weather, but like they jumped on us and our game plan wasn't great. Um, like we, here's how it was. For, I remember for us is, you know, we only had like a day. To, you only had a day to prepare as you do for the national championship game. And um, what sucked was John Pelfrey was their assistant. Yeah. And Pell had actually come to our practice mid year. He was like at our practice for, I think two days taking notes because we were one of the best defensive teams in the country. And he had played for coach Sutton. He's best friends with Sean Sutton. And even though he's an assistant in Florida, we're like, we're never going to play Florida. Like, yeah, come on, watch practice, right. whatever. And he wanted to see, like, how he got us to get after it, right? And Coach Sutton was much the same way as Coach Krzyzewski. We did do a lot more scan report stuff, but it was more like, hey, look, we're, you know, we're, we're post-doubling every time. We worked on seal and rotate. But it was more get up in the lane, get on their ass, turn, make them turn yeah. their ass to the glass, make them, you know, make them play like they're tentative and, and you know, run through passes and go play basketball. Um, but I remember, like, he, he, he knew everything we did because he was at our practice. So we get ready for the game, and Coach uh, is so freaked out about their press that, we, like, the day before, we work on our press breaker, and I'd never been, like, there's never been a press that's ever affected me, you know, as you know, right. playing with my dad. Like, that's all he worked on in AAU basketball, which, and right. I used to love it, and we're spending all this time on press breaker, and I'm like, why are we working on press? Like, that ain't just give me the fucking ball and get out of the way. Like, let's go. And we, we took off our secondary break out of the press breaker. And if you, I, we didn't, again, this is like before analytics. If you would have started, like, we scored almost everything out of secondary break, not out of our half-court offense. And our zone offense was crummy. Right. We just had really good shooters and a, a really good passer. And so yeah. we end up, like, breaking the press. And they gave us a little bit of problem. He got a technical foul. We tried to run a trick play to throw a long once or twice. And we got, we, but whatever. Once we started, like, just getting our press break, breaking it, they called off their press. And they did so, they go back into his zone, but he never put us into our secondary break, even against his zone. And so we couldn't, oh. but regardless, we end up get we tied it, and then Mike Miller hits a three, and I think Dupay hits a three, and we, we end up getting, not necessarily run out of the gym, but it felt that way. And I remember, right. it's exactly what you're talking about. Like, the buzzer sounds. And at the time, you are a sophomore, so you still had life. Like, for me, yeah. yep. it's over. And I remember buzzer sounds, and we were mad because one of their guys dunked the ball. Like it was like 11 points and they dribble oh, out the clock. One of their yeah. guys goes in and tomahawks the ball as the buzzer's going off. And we all wanted to fight him. And we shaking hands, like you're shaking hands with Billy Donovan. And you're just standing there and you're watching them celebrate and get ready to cut down the nets. And I'd kind of watch that yeah. for a little bit. And you start going to the locker room. You're looking around you're like, I can't believe it's, o-. then it's over. There's no more practice. There's no more games. There's no more anything, right? You're sitting around in the yeah. locker room. Do you remember what Kay said after the game? Uh, I don't, I just remember, I honestly remember he came around and hugged every seniors first and then hugged every one of us. That's all I remember. That's all I remember. It's, you don't, uh, yeah, 
I think it's the feeling, right? I, when our season ends, and I, I know, like last year, you know, we lose in the WAC tournament or whatever at Utah Valley, and it's more of like coaches, like you know, in the locker room. I'm not sure exactly what to say to these guys. I don't know what to give these guys, and it's just like all oh, assistants, like I think it's more just the feeling, right? Like these guys are just gonna feel uh, more. They're not gonna remember anything we say, but they'll remember the feeling. And I do that's, remember that's good, just sadness. So. um what 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 do you remember about the decision to transfer? Were you are were you watching the game going like I'm out of here, or was it you got no, home and then you? All. Yeah, I so got happened? home and and I got home and um you know they had, they had a really good class coming in like they always do it's a Duke and Elton was leaving and I'm like oh yeah nice Elton's leaving and me and me and me and Shane and Dunleavy and Jay Will and you know Boozer and these guys and a great team. And I just thought it was more of just like, you know what? If I'm going to be this five-man, like, you know, back-to-the-basket five-man, um, screener, roller, rebounder, which which I, I took pride in. I'm like, I, I want to go play for a, a coach in a system where I'm going to get I'm gonna get developed, but I'm going to get it, – it's one thing to develop in practice and on your own, but it's another thing to get developed with game reps, right? I think that's how bigs get developed. I mean, everybody, but mainly bigs because that's what I am. So I'm like, I'm going to go to a play for a coach – that uh, they, that ball goes inside, 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 smart. Like that was our saying, and so uh, that's what it was. When I transferred, yeah, I talked to UCLA and some other schools that were close to home. Uh, I think I actually even talked to you, your brother. No, your brother wasn't there yet, San Diego State. But I know I talked to San Diego State, UCLA, and actually even talked to Irvine, where I'm from. And I was like, I'm going to play for Rick Majerus. I'm going to go to Utah. Um, he's killing it in the WAC, which was turning into the Mount West. And this dude is going to. I mean, first of all, he's gonna, I had known him. He recruited me out of high school, and I went to their big man guard camp as a kid. And, I knew how good he was with the post. But the thing was, he threw that ball inside. He threw that ball inside. And so now I get to play in the Mountain West, get the ball, get a ton of touches in the post. And, and it's a good team that's going to compete for a, a Mountain West championship and, you know, an NCAA tournament good seeding. And so that, to me, that was what it was about. I'm going to play for coach. I'm going to play for coach. Why didn't you transfer to BYU? Um, at, the time, at the time, they were kind of on the – they were just on the down right now. They're were, they were working their way up, new coach, and – um, it was more about Rick Majerus than, to be honest, than the actual university. Um, it was more about Rick Majerus and what he'd done with, with, with post players. And, of course, he's good with guards. I mean, look at Andre Miller's had one of the best storied careers in both in college and in the NBA. Uh, but it was about, it was about Rick Majerus and, and post development more than it was school, right? Um, that's why it's like UCLA. I was a huge fan of this home for me. Um, San Diego State, come on, you're in the beach. Um, good level. But I was like, you know what? I'm gonna play for this this coach. He's killing it right now. And I was close with Britton Johnson too. We were good friends. I was like, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna crush this thing together. Uh, by the way, I think my brother was at, at San Diego State at the time. What, what was he, was did he come over there with uh, Coach? Fisher? He was there with Fish, but he didn't he didn't join Fish until like the fall, I think. Yeah. Um, I'll give you a quick story about how bad they were. Like you remember, like this is amazing about San Diego State. Like they were so bad when we grew up. People don't people yeah. don't know that they were they won zero games my redshirt year in the Mountain West. Zero. Yes, they were terrible. So we play them the next year is is Fish's first year, right? Or maybe that was the first yeah. year. And um, and I had thought about leaving there because we're going to play for Majerus uh, during my junior year because I was I was yeah. in the doghouse and I wasn't enjoying myself. And um, so coach schedules a game with San Diego State because I think he wanted to go to San Diego the next year because he thought we were going to be bad. And he's like, at least I'll be in San Diego. Yeah. So we play him in Oklahoma City, and we're up like 
40 to 14 at the half. And he comes in and we're like sitting there and we're, you know, pounding our chest or whatever. And we got a really good team. And he sits down next to me. He goes, you tell your brother, you better go get some players, brother. Cause you can get your ass fired. They're terrible. <laughs> right. Turns out, by the way, the next year, San Diego state did beat Oklahoma state, uh, at Viejas. I think it was Cox back then. Anyway. Yeah, they were, they were bad. So, what was sitting out? You're you're with Majerus, and for people who don't yeah. know Majerus, like I almost uh, went and played for Majerus before yeah. I transferred to Oklahoma State. That was my, really my two of my final three schools: Marquette, Notre Dame, and I mean Alabama a little bit too, and and then uh, and, and Utah. And the only reason I didn't was it was a week before I was going to visit, and on there was a they passed a rule where if you're a prop 48 and you graduated in four years, you got that year back. So you got a fifth year kind of right. for free. And your first year became like a red shirt yeah. year. And he straight right. and his whole thing was like, Hey, Andre, Andre would have been a sophomore when I got there and Hey, you'll be a, you'll, you'll play with him for a year, same backcourt. And then it'll be your team for two years. And then, you know, when he got the year back, they're like, well, he's probably going to be here two years. And he he was honest. He's like, I don't think that's really what you're you, you want to do. Be yeah. a point guard for one year. Anyway, I'll never forget. So I I went to practice. They played UCI. This was so. This is uh, ninety six ninety seven. Um. Yep. So this is your last year at Duke. And I went to practice, and they had obviously had Mahorn, they had Doliak, they had Metella, they had a squad, and they had Andre Miller. Yeah, they were loaded. And their practice was unbelievable. Like it was. He used to, and, and you tell me if this changed or whatever, he'd get onto somebody's ass and then two lines and the guy would run over to the baseline and no one is looking at him. Like he did he, They were so disciplined that he didn't have to look at anybody yeah. at all. And he would go two lines and they would run down and back would be, I think that would be two lines. You tell him if I'm wrong. And, or he'd say uh, like four lines supposed to be down and back twice would be two down and back okay. twice. So down. And okay. So they're going down and back twice. Right. But I'm yeah. like, like nowadays, like I, so I, I, I have workouts with kids three days a week. And if I, I just tell them to run a lap or whatever, but I hate that I have to watch them like, Hey, you're not running hard. Take another lap. Like he literally two lines go. And then, you know, yeah. and he down, back, down, back, get back into the drill. And then he would have his walk ons. Right huh? Jump right back into the drill, right back into the drill and then locked right in. in. And then, and then yeah. he had, and I, I remember he had his walk-ons that he would take with him on the road, and then they would, you know, when they do scouting report, everybody would sit in their chairs with their notebooks open, and the the walk-ons would run through every offensive. They'd run through an offensive set, then they come guard it. Then they go back, and they'd run through an offensive yep. set, then they come guard it. What did you do during your redshirt year with him? So I was one of the scout guys, like was one. Of, so I was part of the walk-on. We called it we called it gray squad because we had these gray jerseys, and usually the jerseys had a uh, whatever number we were going against. Um, so, so the first, like, what is it? The first, we have three weeks of preseason before your exhibition game. I'm actually, like, part of, like, the red and white squad, right? I'm thrown in there. I'm going against Hano, who is a preseason All-American every day. And it's awesome. I'm loving it. And then as soon as the games start, then the gray squad, your scout team is introduced. Then I was thrown on scout squad, which was pretty fun because you got to learn all the plays, which is fine. But, like, you had the green light, and, like, coach was more focused in coaching on – the actual eligible guys or the guys who were going to get some uh, playing time. And so you, I, I mean, I'm telling you, I, I could do whatever I wanted in terms of like, in terms of it, within the offense that, you know, we were scouting things like that, but it was fantastic. Now he was ex- exactly what you said is exactly who he is. There was 
you played with fear in the gym, right? Where this generation, we always talk about joy in the gym and juice in the gym, but there, like, there was no joy or juice in the gym for Coach Majerus' team. Like, there was fear. But, like, his guys played harder than anyone, was more prepared than anyone. And like you said, like, he would say, well, he would always be like, two sprints, five sprints. You can go over there, you run your five. And you knew at any time Coach could watch or he would have the, the video guy up there in the stands go back and see how hard you ran those five sprints, right? So you just knew you, you you didn't mess around. You just didn't. Like, there was just too much fear. And so, boom, you'd jump back in the drill, and you'd be tired as all get out. But you knew that, like, at any point, like, you're going to get sent on sprints. His practices were long. He taught, taught, stopped, stopped, stopped. But I'm telling you, like, I was able to play 11 years professionally overseas for so many different teams because I was taught the game the right way. Right, yeah. I could fit into any system or any style because I was taught the right way, and and that goes a long way uh, overseas. Because sometimes your Americans come in and they just want to score, 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 and you know, and and not want to guard and know how to guard ball screen, not how to guard the post, and no help size. But with Majerus, it was the point where you were just so well disciplined and so well coached that it didn't matter where I went, I, I could fit right in. Oh yeah, I got this, no problem. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If 
you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, okay, so your first year, you had you had Britton Johnson, right? Yeah. You had, yeah, didn't you have Lance Allred, too? Wasn't he a good player? He was a good player. He was actually my, he was actually my backup for my freshman, my junior and senior year at Utah. But he was a really good player. He was Big Sky Player of the Year after he transferred. But yeah, Lance was on the team. Britton was on the team. Britton Johnson, Travis Spivey, Spivey, which was a Georgia Tech transfer for Bobby yeah. I, I, I that that was that was the guy who took the spot. That that well, I don't know if that would have been mine. Or whatever. I almost went to Georgia Tech, and um, they took Travis. They took Spivey instead. And uh, yeah, I got some funny Georgia Tech stories. Um, yeah, and then you had what, didn't you have Kevin Bradley was like a scoring guard yeah. too. He was, he was one and done Crenshaw's finest. He was one and done. Yeah. The grades after his first year there as a junior. Uh, so funny story about Kevin, love him. Great player. But he came into our end of the year meeting. And Jairus walked in late at this hotel there in the Marriott right there on car away. And he walked in, he was like, Kevin, this is your GPA. And it was really bad. He's like, I told you and your mom on the home visit. I wasn't going to pull up with this. Like, you can be excused, you're off the team. Kevin, like, kind of looked around, stood up, walked out. I have not seen Kevin Bradley since. Now, I've talked to him on the phone, but I've not seen Kevin Bradley since that meeting when Coach is like, I told you. And he's our leading scorer. Like, he's our, our best guard. It's unbelievable, right? And, that's again, it's fear. But he's like, I told you. You didn't want to do your grades. I told you and your mom. You're out. Never seen him since. Okay, so here's the best – here's the best – um Majera story that I will that I will share on this that I, that I know. Um, uh, what's the kid who um, I'm thinking of, he transferred to to Oregon, I think. Um, oh, David Jackson. David Jackson. Okay. Uh, David Jackson didn't play with you, did he? No. So I came in when he transferred. Like we we, oh, we okay. missed each other exactly. Okay. So here's the here's the. So I won't tell you who told me this story, or maybe I'll tell you offline. Um. <laughs> But he goes and he, he goes on visits right after leaving Utah. And this particular group is at like most coaching staffs, like what, what I hate about my job or some people who are in my job is the way in which we portray college basketball coaches as like, like most of them are just a bunch of guys like me and you played basketball, that love basketball, love kids, love the yeah. locker room, like, right. And are kind of smart yeah. asses, you know? So yeah. <laughs> they're at dinner and they're like, okay, you can't, we can't order any food until you give us your best Majera story. And so David Jackson <laughs> says, just the other day, they're like, just the other day? He's like, yeah, this just happened. He said he went up to Majeris's, um hotel suite to ask for a transfer. So he knocks on the door, and he walks in, and Rick answers the door in a towel. And for most people who follow Majera stories, they often involve some form of nudity. Yeah. Oh, David, sorry, just got out of the shower. And uh, Sitsi, oh, sorry, Coach. He is, sorry, well, you, you don't call him Coach, right? You call him Rick? Uh, uh, he, some people call him Rick. Some people call him Coach. Just whatever you're comfortable with. He was fine. Okay, way. his whole thing His whole thing was like, don't, don't call me Coach, call me Rick. That was when he recruited me, at least. And um, so, he said, sit down, sit down, sit down. So he goes, uh, you know, Rick, uh, I was 
we talked about transferring and he's like looking down, like he's like no self-confidence. Like, you know, you're like, you're telling Rick Majerus you want out. <laughs> so he's kind of hemming and hawing. He looks up and Majerus is out cold asleep in a chair with a towel, <laughs> barely dressed. Now he starts to snore and you're like, what do I do here? Like, how do I, what do I do to wake him up? So he sits there for a couple minutes and finally he's like, oh, the hell with it. He kind of like nudges him, nudges him. And Majerus goes, oh, 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 David, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, oh, this medication I've been taking, it just it knocks me out. And then he goes, and it makes this, my ball swell up. And he shows him like his ball. And David Jackson's like, Rick, I want to transfer. Can you sign the release? Thanks for everything. Goodbye. And he like walks out. That's his... That, that's his uh, Majera story. So in it, you can give me a less or more graphic one. Give me your best Majera story. So I got a good one, and it didn't involve me. I got great ones that involved me, but they're graphic and the names calling things like that. But I got a great one. I tell everyone. I think it's fantastic, and, and it's how he rolled. So great, one of the great teammates I played with, Mike Pusey. Okay, he's from just outside north of Salt Lake City, Utah. He's six foot nine, big guy. You know, and he's a he's on the recruiting. They're on a home visit, Rick Majerus and Jeff Judkins, who was his assistant, longtime assistant sure. at the time. And, and they're at his home visit. And at the home visit, you got Mike Pusey, of course, a, a, what is he, a 17, 18 year old kid. And you got his pops. And then you got mom and sister. Okay. And so coach is giving the whole spiel. Coach is, you know, so honest to the point where he's trying to, like, he tried to scare me away, but he's being so honest. He's like, listen, I got Keith Van Horn. He's going to be senior next year. He's going to come in here after guarding every day. He's going to destroy you, all these different things. And he's like, for you to be able to compete when eventually in time, you're going to have to gain weight. And he's like, and I'm looking at your mom and your sister, and they're both really heavy, so I know that, that you got it in you. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this? <laughs> this is Mike Pusey. So Mike ends up signing there. You know, he plays one year during Van Horn's senior year, goes on his Mormon mission to uh, Sweden, comes back, and Mike's a sophomore return missionary during my redshirt year. I play my redshirt year with Mike, and then my – and then I play, we're juniors together, and then Coach ends up taking a scholarship away, and Mike transfers to Utah State. And now Mike is an AD out here in Roy High School in Salt Lake, outside Salt Lake City. But, like, I'm telling you, man, like, that's, what, that's the kind of control and how honest he was. But you, you respected him in this weird way where a guy, like, Mike signs there. Like, Mike signs there. And it was Judkins, Coach Judkins' job at the time to kind of calm the family down. Yeah, um, and, you know, but I just saw Mike the other day, and uh, on my fortieth a couple weeks ago, and I brought up that story. He's like, "Oh, he told me, he told me all about it." He's like, "Oh yeah, he said this." He's like, "You know, coach, though." And, but like, can you imagine? I can't imagine going into a home visit as an assistant, first of all, and hearing Coach Pope say that to a recruit, and then us still getting him. Like, there's just no way. There's just no way. <laughs> That's amazing. There's, there's now, now is it you true? Gotta get, you got to get. Uh, Go ahead, go ahead, sorry. No, no, you got to what? I was going to say, you got to get, I'm telling you, Britton Johnson on, on your pod. You got to get him, man. He, he does jazz radio now, and he, he does things. But he, and first of all, he's got an unbelievable career and, and the things he had to do. He's got some unbelievable stories. He, he, he does the best Rick Majerus impersonation you've ever seen it, it, um, or ever heard. It's unbelievable. Okay, so here's the other story. Now, now, Rick did, Rick did uh, he also had a cruel side, right? And yeah. we're just like, right, so like Mark Jackson. Who was a point guard? Yeah, was a yeah, freshman and yeah. sophomore with you, and uh, I mean, uh, you know, he would only call him the c word, right? Like that yeah, was that's it. okay. And 
And this is what I was told. Ray Giacoletti gets the job after Rick leaves. And Mark Jackson comes in and says, Coach, I want to play. And he's like, I'd love to have you. And he goes, I just have this one thing to ask you. (laughs) And he's like, what's that? He's like, will you promise me you will never call me the C word? And he was like, done, (laughs) easy, sale. Why would I ever call you that? And he's like, that's the only name Rick Majerus would ever call me. And... uh, (laughs) And he, he like he was like captain. He like walked away from the team, like quit because of it, right? Oh, he quit. He quit, and like I mean, he ended up coming back, like you said, for Jack, and was first team all Mount West. Went to a Sweet Sixteen with Bogut, and big time. I'm telling you, big time player, tough as nails, Salt Lake City kid, and couldn't do, couldn't take coach. He couldn't do it. He couldn't take coach. Yeah, there's always there are guys, there are guys, and we had that at Oklahoma State who just couldn't, who couldn't handle it. You know the. The Graham twins, for example, like both the twins yeah. play both play in the NBA. Stevie didn't never started at Oklahoma State, and really, like you couldn't play him because he get so he was so worked up over playing for coach that every time he came in the game, he would travel. Like first time he got the ball, he would travel, and we like and we and we try to convince people like, listen, he's actually a really good player. He just can't play for coach. Some dudes can't can't do it. Some dudes can. Um, it's it's really okay. So you get done playing. Yeah. Right. And you had a, you had a good senior year. I wouldn't say you had everything you wanted in a senior year. Is that is that right. fair? That's fair. Good senior year, but good senior year, especially coming off a junior year. Um, that was I, I felt like my junior year was disappointing. Uh, we did win the Mount individually, collectively. We did win the Mount West, um, which was great. But senior year, good senior year, good senior, year. not great senior year, but good senior year. So it's you. I mean, like, dude, you had good big guys. You Lance. Um, yep. you know, and, and, and Britain, obviously. Yep. So you go from McDonald's all American Duke fifth year guy, like almost 14 and, and, and seven. Um, and you, you didn't get drafted. What, what's right. the, what's the feeling like to not get drafted? Oh, so you're just bummed, right? You're disappointed. There's like a lot of just, just regret, right? There's always regret about your career. I should have done this. If I could have been this, if I would have been mentally tougher here, you know what I mean? There's always regret. It's like, it's all of us as players, right? And competitors, even after games, it's like, you didn't, you don't leave it out on a, I didn't feel like I left it all out there, whatever, but there was, I didn't blame anyone. I do remember that. not blame anyone besides myself, but there was this like, okay, my agent calls is like, all right, you got, we got three teams that want to bring in, you know, for summer, right? The summer league. And so, at that point, when the draft was over, I called, actually, ironically, called Majerus, like, Coach, I've got the Pacers, the Suns, and the Knicks that want to bring me into summer camp. Um, I need help, right? Well, what do you think? Can you talk to these guys? Because he knows late, late, uh, you know, Frank, is it Frank or Scott? Scott laid with the Knicks. And he knows Coach, Coach Ivoroni, who's an assistant with the Suns. And Pacers, he was really good president. So he called me, and he did all this research. And the next day he calls me, he's like, I think the Suns is the way to go. And so they had drafted Amari and Casey Jacobson and basically Jake Boskel and I were going to compete for kind of this last roster spot. And so I went and Suns and played summer league and got to play in Salt Lake and the Mountain Review and got to play in Long Beach. And it was great. And got invited to training camp and ultimately was the last guy cut. Um, but yeah, there was, there was definitely disappointment, but there was also this like, all right, let's, let's make this another way. Like and your agent's telling you, Hey, it's better if you don't get drafted second round, you have more teams to choose from, which is completely true. 
But the competitor and in you was just like, no, like I wanted to get drafted. I wanted to hear my name called, right? And so disappointment, bummed out. But at the same time, I was like, all right, let's go. Let's find this right team and let's let's make this roster a different way. So what'd you do? So I went to Phoenix um, summer camp. Played actually pretty well. Um, got to play alongside Amari, which was, I mean, he's obviously was what he was, right? Rookie of the year. Um, and then ended up getting cut uh, the day of the last. What, what was game. he? What was he like? I mean, because like, listen, Amari's yeah. still playing in Israel. He's a shell of himself, and he hasn't been really the same since yeah. the knee. But he was right out of high yeah. school. But he was a freak. What was he? What was he like to play with? So competitive. First of all, the first day you played with him, the dude had no idea how to play the game. But what he did, he didn't understand one thing about um, you know spacing or screening or moving. But what he did know is to attack that rim. He did know like where the ball was, and he just had this knack of knifing through defenses to score. And then D'Antoni, obviously, when he played for D'Antoni the following year, and they're running ball screens with Steve Nash. I mean, that's just—I mean, come on, you know, that's what he can do. Great dude, really funny. I mean, he's really funny. He's older for a—I mean, he's a rookie, um, straight out of high school kid, but he was older, right? And so he's really talking to the bus. Um, uh, really good teammate, like just fun to be around. Like he brought, he brought a lot of joy to practice, um, just with his competitiveness and not like you had Gugliotta who's a vet, uh, Bo Outlaw who's a vet, and this dude and Sean Marion's been there a few years, just signed a big deal. Uh, but this dude Amari was like, no, like I'm the alpha dog here. I am the alpha dog. So I remember during the preseason games, I turned to Scott Williams. I was like, this dude might get pre- uh, rookie of the year, and then Scott was like. He's going to get rookie year. You don't have to worry about that. And he did. He got rookie year. Um, the, so you went to play for the Idaho Stampede, who I was on the yeah. Idaho Stampede um, right up until the first. I, my Idaho Stampede story is Brian Gates coached me in the yep, USBL. Yeah. And I um, and uh, so I was supposed to play. My agent had a team that was going to play in Russia and live in Italy, but I had to play as an Israeli and I didn't get my papers because when i went to israel i told them the truth that i was living in italy they're like no you must live in israel and anyway so i come back there's like 14 point guards at camp i end up as one of the last two aubrey reese got hurt it was me and darren mcclinton and i'll never forget like we used to go we used to stay at i don't forget the hotel and we were going rory white was the head coach and we were going back and forth to practice and we used to pick up the idaho statesman and look in the transaction page and we'd look at guys that got cut in the NBA. We're like, oh, he's going to take somebody's job in the CBA. He's going to take somebody's job. We were kind of messing around. And I remember seeing Randy Livingston's name. And, I mean, I, I was there as a camper when Randy Livingston tore his ACL as a oh. counselor at ABCD. And so I knew how good Randy Livingston was. And so I remember picking up the Idaho Stampede, Idaho Statesman, on the way to practice one day, like, oh, Randy Livingston, oh, he's taking somebody's job for sure. He's an NBA dude. He's yep. taking some CBA. And we were just kind of joking around about it. So we, we have, like, picture day. It's like two days or two days before the season's going to start. Brian Gates had literally called me and said, hey, tell Angie, like, my girlfriend's in Oklahoma. Like, we'll, we'll share a U-Haul to move our stuff up. Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm set. I'm thinking about picking out apartments, what I'm going to do. We're at, we're taking we did done taking pictures and we're taking like half court shots and trick shots and I look down in like the vomitorium like that leads towards the locker room and I see this tall bald dude and I was like oh shit that's Randy Livingston I'm gonna get cut <laughs> <laughs> and so we go that night we play a scrimmage or an exhibition against College of Southern Idaho and I was like I thought I was like fighting for a starting spot like I had beaten out Darren McClinton 
with the USBL. I was starting ahead of him at the end of the year. And, but DMAC had been there the year before, so he was like the vet. So I kind of had to earn it. And we were, I mean, I was playing great. I was, it, it was probably like you, right? Like you played in college and you felt like you were kind of free of the system and you felt like yeah. you're older than yeah. most college kids that come out. You just, you're really comfortable and you're the NBA game that full the court is so wide open. There's so many possessions that you can kind of pick and choose what you want to do when you want to do it. And I didn't yeah. play a minute and I was like, Oh damn, I got cut. What was your stampede experience like? So funny, you know, Brian Gates was the assistant coach and Roy White was head coach. And so same, same two, uh, two guys you just talked about. So uh, they had drafted me. Um, so when I got cut, they reached out right away through my agent and me. and was like, Hey, come over here, come play. You got the spot. So I did. Um, out there when training camp i was in you know outside boise which is great because it's only like a four-hour drive from where my wife's from oh my girlfriend's time when i was getting married and so it was close i felt like it was near utah good guys on the team played the first few games and my agent call was just like hey there's a team in turkey that basically um wants you to come but they're not gonna be able to pay that buyout it's just the truth right and it's like but if you had, so i went and talked to you after four or five games i was like well you know i think i can get called up and played another game was like, I don't know, we just call up and it was a really good deal in Turkey. And so, um, I went to Gates. I went to Brian and was like, can you just release me? Can you just, can you just release me so I can, you know, I can go home and, you know, I can get my rights back and this team doesn't have to do a buyout. And so Brian was a stud, man. Like I owe him to this day. He, he released me, um, went home for a week or two. The team was like, it was kind of like the, the holiday break there in Turkey during the December time. And they brought me in, flew me out and, and uh, ended up playing there for the first year, and um, really like it really worked out because that really that was really the right place for me to get started in Europe. Because um, like you said, I wasn't in this college system anymore. We're back to the basket. Like I, I would pick and pop. I would trail three because the coach was like, "You have to take open shots. That's what we do here." Like, what? Like if no one's guard, like shoot it, shoot the ball, <laughs> shoot the ball, right? And so it was just it was just. The mentality it takes, they had. It takes so, you. It takes you a while to, to break out of that mode. Like you've been, you just get rewired yeah. by your college coach. And yes. you know, I remember playing in playing in Russia, and my coach would would say, you know, like you must shoot. And I was like, I'm just so yeah. wired to turn down shots. <laughs> then yeah, then you went to Australia. Then you then you went to Australia. What was that like? Loved it. Oh man, loved it. It was great. It's good league. Uh, the money's so so there, but great league. Again, it was one of the things like. I was a stretch five there. It was awesome. Great teammates, good players. Um, Baines, Aaron Baines for the Celtics was actually on our team as like the development player, as like a 15, 16-year-old kid. Um, so it was fun. Played there two and a half seasons and uh, put me in a situation to go um, play overseas, over back in Europe for a lot more money. So Australia kind of put me um, – so I went to Turkey, got a nice contract in Australia, and then that league put me on kind of a different map over in Europe, so I went back over there. But you also did the the the, the spring league stuff, right? Didn't you do yes. Philippines? Yes. And and for yes. people who don't know, like guys who are European basketball guys, you know this. Like back then, and I don't know if it's, I think it's still the same way. When you play CBA or now G League or whatever, I don't know if you can do a G League. But back then, you played in the CBA or some other stateside league. There's ABA for a while too. Or you play Australia yeah. where you don't make a ton of money. Um, yeah. <clears throat> one way you can make up for that money that you lost out staying home is to go play in Venezuela, Philippines, right. Puerto Rico, where they're like right. one or two month leagues, but they're more money for a shorter period of time, right? That's right. And they're looking. 
for at least the countries I played in. So that's what I did. I went to the Philippines. I went to Puerto Rico three different times for the spring and then part of the summer because of like, like, because it's Australian league ends early, right? It ends in February where Europe goes all the way to like June and July. Uh, June, sometimes July, depending on the league. But I was just like, hey, I'm young. There's only so long I can play. And I felt really good. So you go play in Philippines. Like you said, a lot of money for two, three months season. Hang out, you're going to play out. Go play in Puerto Rico. And then you'd have basically all of half, all of July, half of August, sometimes all of August, to kind of recover and get ready for the next season. But I would do that, especially as a 5-4 man. Those leagues like Philippines and Puerto Rico, they're always looking for fours and fives. Um, you played you played in Ukraine as well. Like, dude, you went all over. So for a guy who never went on his Mormon mission, you basically <laughs> went on a Mormon Mormon mission. But but you, you mentioned your girlfriend, now wife, and you guys married with a bunch of with a whole bunch of kids. Like, what was yeah. what was that? What was your relationship with her like when you're traveling around chasing the basketball dream? So she was great. She's a she's a former D one athlete as well. So she understands time, commitment, and energy that it takes just to just to survive as an athlete and competitor. So um, she would come over with me right away at the beginning of my career and then when kids started to get added to the equation um and then they started going to school i kind of go over the first month six weeks by myself she'd come over for you know three quarters of the season and then she would come home a good six to eight weeks um early right so she wouldn't stay there the whole time and that's kind of how it was the last six or seven years of my career and then the last year we had our fifth kid <laughs> And she was like, I'm done. Like, I, this is this is difficult. Um, I'm done. And I was like, well, I basically called her bluff. I was like, I, I want to play one more year. And I'm like, assuming she would come over. And she's like, you don't understand. I'm done. I'll come out for, you know, the, the month of December. I'll take the kids out of school. So that that my last year, which was in the Middle East, UAE, I was by there. I was out there by myself except for that month of December. And that was like the hardest year because she's raising five kids on her own. I'm out there by myself just living this like basketball bachelor life in terms of having zero responsibilities besides staying in shape and performing. Right. And so I, I was like, I, I had two, I actually, the team wanted to sign two more years on the deal. And I told him I was, I told him I can't do this anymore. And that's how I kind of fell into coaching. Um, okay. So here's, here's the, there's a bunch of questions I have. Um, how hard was it to keep up with the real world? Like, you know, you were able to play in the internet generation, you know, like just when I was like, when I was in Russia, I remember Rusty LaRue was in Moscow and he would video chat. I forget what ser- service he would use with his kids back in North Carolina. Yeah. And, yep. you know, it was still dial up days. Um, yeah. And I remember like Israel was cool. Cause you could still watch ESPN and you could, most of the events, but like, like there's two years there when I was playing where I have no idea what happened in college hoop. And there's a bunch of NBA stuff. Yeah. I don't know anything about, yep. forget about football, like nothing. And it's one of the reasons that I quit playing. Cause I got a chance in the broadcasting industry. And I was like, if I stay too long, I won't, I'll have this like void in my memory bank that I don't know what people were talking about. Um, right. How did you keep up with the re- forget about it. And then, and then I want to get to parenting. How'd you keep up with the real world? Yeah. So, like I said, I didn't watch any college basketball or any NBA, right? Just maybe overseas, they might show a gamer here, but I didn't watch. Like, everyone talks about Carmelo Anthony and Syracuse. I, I have never seen Car- – I never saw Carmelo Anthony play in college, right? And everyone's Me like, that, you got to go back and watch. 
Like, exactly, right? So, my first couple of years was kind of dial-up internet, and then, you know, the, the, the whole, um, what was it? I mean, Wi-Fi wasn't even around. You still had to connect DSL, and then, and then eventually there was Wi-Fi towards the end of my career. And, and I would try, I got different things like sling blocks, and I got different things. Um, honestly, it was just one of, Twitter finally came out, but it wasn't that big of an application to use. And so, really, I was just, I would just kind of talk to my friends and family back home um, through texting or instant messaging or emailing. And they would kind of, they honestly would give me kind of recaps. I would go on ESPN.com and I'd try to watch all the highlights from the night before, right? I'd try to um, go on YouTube. But there were certain countries, sometimes YouTube you couldn't get on. And so I'd try to go YouTube and watch different things. But I was really out of it. Like, even my own water, like Utah, I didn't even know some of the players. You know, i go back in the summer, I'd be like, hey, who's this guy? Who's this? I have no idea. I couldn't keep up. And so you're just kind of out of it, and you're in your own world. Like, you really are. How did you? The league you're playing on. How did you parent? Um, when, they were, when they were gone, I would, I would uh, we had, what was it, Skype. It was, I would Skype with them when they'd be out, when they'd be over back here in the States. I would Skype with them probably every day or every couple of days. I would do that. Um, so that was basically my <laughs> – I mean, I missed the birth of my second born. I was in Puerto Rico, and my wife went into preterm because she was going to fly out, but she went into preterm. And so she stayed in Salt Lake, and it was an April Fool's baby. And so I actually thought she was joking when she sent a text basically saying, I'm going into labor. I didn't even believe her. But then her mom had called me and been like, hey, she's really going to have this. And so um, that that's kind of like, that's just a small little story of like the life that you just live to be able to play this game, which I still loved and had a lot to give. Like this game, I had so much more to give and I wasn't done. Um, but that's just kind of the way it was. I would do Skype. I would call them. I'd send emails. I'd send pictures um, and do the best I could. Now, when they were there, right, my wife was really good. Um, about taking care of the kids, having the house, bringing them to games. Because, you know, European dinners, right? They're so loud, so the kids had the headphones on. So my kids literally grew up in arenas um, and in gyms all over the world when they were with me for those five, six, seven months of the year. They grew up They grew up in arenas. Give me the best food that you – that I mean, like, listen, you've traveled literally all over the world. Yeah. Give me something that you tried that to this day you still love and tell people about. So Turkish food is probably my favorite. Um, I love their doners, their kebabs, the thing they got on that little like, spinner rotisserie thing, but it's, it's, it's right side up. But there's like this kind of pasta and Greek yogurt, and they call it iskender, I-S-K-E-N-D-E-R. It's called iskender meat, which I think it's probably a form of, I think it's lamb, but it's by far the best meal. If you have like a teammate's wife prepare it, it's unbelievable. I would have it three times a week out there. In fact, I coached a kid this last year, Utah Valley, who's from Istanbul, and I would talk about like, hey, like you got one of these days, you you got to make me some Iskender. If your mom comes in town, like you got to do that. It's my favorite food. He's just like that is like a Turkish, that is a Turkish like delicacy there. So Iskender is my favorite. You never tried uh, Sala or Salo in uh, in um, Ukraine, did you? No, I didn't. I was. I didn't go outside the box too much in Ukraine or Mediterranean food's not bad too. Uh, but in Ukraine, strictly, strictly like kielbasa, steak, things like that. I stuck with that. Yeah. So salo is, uh, it's like uncooked pig fat. It's like bacon, but only, I think it's all fat and it's like super, super seasoned. And I, we had a couple of Ukrainian guys on my team in Russia 
And the Russian guys used to mess with them, you know, like when they'd make shots, they'd be like, oh, Blet, you must, you must be eating salo. You must be eating salo, Blet, which Blet is bitch. And they would say, they would throw in Blet at the end of every sentence. You eat salo, Blet. No, What's the matter with you, Blet? Shoot the ball, Blet, right? Like every sentence. Anyway, um, so you, you mentioned it to your Ukraine dudes. All right, what is the, give me the, give me the best, like crazy playing basketball yeah. overseas story to somebody who has never lived that lifestyle. Um, on the, on the court or off? Cause off is probably the most interesting, crazy. Go, stuff. go either. So give me, give court. me one of each off the court, off the court. So I'm in Ukraine, right? My wife's, uh, seven and a half months pregnant with our third. And, um, we're trying to find a hospital, right? That she feels comfortable. With. She flies over there and trying to feel comfortable. And so I ended up, she's ended up really, really uncomfortable. It's not working out with the team. So I go to the management. I'm like, Hey, listen, just, just, just pay my last month. Release me. Let me go over to Turkey. There's a team that wants me over there. It's like for a coaching staff that I already know about the same amount of money. Um, my wife's comfortable in Turkey. She knows, she knows, a, she knows a, a wife over there can take care of her and she comes with hospitals, right? Cause we'd lived there before she was hospital. So the team released me, but they owe me a ton of money, um, for this buyout cause they agreed to buy me out too. And for, so for, I mean, I like, listen, it's what's, what's a ton of money to be owed. Uh, they basically owe me like 30,000, 25, $30,000 in cash. Okay. And, and for me to leave, for me to just kind of walk away. And so I know, and I've got to go to this Turkish team. I've got to report in Turkey in 48 hours or it's not going to work. Right. I got to report in 48 hours, um, or they're not going to sign me. So I have to get released and collect this money in cash. Cause I know if I go over there, they're not going to pay me. Right. They're just not going to pay me. And so I go over there and, uh, my wife's packing up the house. I get the money last minute. We fly over Turkey, hold two kids, dog. We find a hospital. Now she's going to have this baby in Turkey. So she, so she, so she's my wife's going to have this baby. We go to Turkey, find the right hospital. She's having this baby. It's Islamic country. So I'm not supposed to be in there. They give me permission to be in there. Okay. The doctor is smoking in the hallway before he's delivering baby. I have to like shield this doctor. I have to shield this, I have to shield this doctor off because I don't want my wife to see it. Okay, I don't want to see her smoking. They have the baby. They she has she ends up having the baby there. I don't uh, they, they don't have any diapers. They don't have any clothes. They don't have anything. So I got to run back and go get it. Um, the, they don't have the any babies for, a, for they don't have any diapers for a baby in a hospital. No, it's like bring your own everything. It's bring your own everything, right? And so I have the, she has the baby. Um, I got to go pay for it. I'm not insured. Like you know, maternity and all these different things. I'm not insured. So. I go up there and pay it, and I'm like, hey, can I spread this out over a couple credit cards? They're like, sure, and then it ends up being like $230 <laughs> for everything. It ends up being like $230 for everything. So my wife's able to have that baby, and afterwards, they have, my wife has to get a tetanus shot because she's like, hey, not everything might be sterile, so just in case, let's give you this tetanus shot. That's amazing. Here's I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you a quick so Russian was- hospital story, okay? So I land in Russia. And I've been playing in Salina, Kansas for like two weeks in the IBA to kind of get in shape for Russia. So they had offered me a contract, but they wanted me to work out with them. The team's gone and on a road trip and they're coming back like in a couple of days. So they work me out by myself. Like literally they, they don't have this team was, we won the Russian league and won our European league, but it, they didn't have a junior team really to speak of. So I'm like alone in a gym for two hours, for an hour and a half in the morning and two hours in the evening. And they're just like coming up with drills for me to do. 
I mean, it was crazy. Right. Like, they were like, how many threes must you make in a minute? I was like, I don't know. Feed me. Let's say it. Like, okay, go. And I was like, wait, there's nobody feeding me. Like, no, we want you. So, like, for conditioning, <laughs> I just like, how many threes you can make in a minute? And then you take a minute off, and then you do it again. And then you take a minute off, and then you do it again. So I'm, like, exhausted. I'm, in, I'm eating terribly. I'm not sleeping. Anyway. So, they're like, they, they want me to sign this contract. They don't want me to send it to my yep. agent. They want me to, like, it's in Russian. I'm like, no, I'm not signing anything in fucking Russian. So, anyway, <laughs> they're like, you, have, you must have go to physical. So, I... <laughs> So I go to some hospital in Perm, Russia, and it was like one of these things where, I mean, it looked like out of the 1960s Russia, right? Everything's gray or like some weird, like greenish color walls. And you go into one room and they like check your knees and like they have you like bend down and bend over and they work on your knees. And then you go to another one and they check your back and they x-ray your back. And then you go to another one and they check your hearing, you know, and they get another one, they check your eyes. So the last one I go into, like the last one I go into is like a dentist. So I go in and they like have me open up and the lady comes in and she's like looking at my teeth and she's got all gold uppers and all gold lowers. And I go, I'm good. My, my teeth are good. No, thanks. No, no spaceba, no spaceba, no spaceba. <laughs> no, no, thank you. No, thank you. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Funny. I mean, well, there, we, people have no. Do, do you remember Paul Shirley? Iowa State. I'm sure. I of course. Yeah, he's that book, right? Okay. You, yeah, that book. That book. I, like anyone who goes overseas, like I'm telling, you, they talk about. It. I'm like, dude, you got to read Paul Shirley's book. And it's a different era, of course, due to generation. There's probably so much more things. But that book is fantastic because I was I was probably on my seventh or eighth year over there, and I'm like laughing all the time because. We all had these similar stories as players doing with coaches or people in the city and the travel and the agents and all of these things. And they're just like, it's just a reminder of how, like, how crazy it is. And, and like, crazy. you have to really love this game to yep. make a career over in Europe. You have to love no, it. No, you, you'll get, you get people, Chris, you know this, you'll get people who tell, like, oh, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'll just go overseas. Like, do you have any no. idea? You have any, like, you got to change every part about your life. You're playing for people who have no respect for your upbringing. They don't care, right? Yeah. Um, they don't care. And you have no and you're idea one year, if you're, you're one year commodity. One year commodity. They don't care about your health the next year. And in, in all honesty, like, they don't even, the, the contracts don't mean anything to most of those people. Like, what are you going to do? Sue me? No. Right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's an, an amazing thing that you have to do. Okay, what about playing? Because I do think that there's a ton of things we've taken from them. There's some shit they do that's weird. Like I still don't understand yeah. the wrist stretch thing they do, or the knee <laughs> roll around your knee stretch yeah. thing that they do. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't understand. Soccer, soccer warm ups. It's soccer warm. They have the soccer mentality, right? So the way they, like we we would do these tempo runs for the first ten minutes of practice around the court, and I'm like, come on, like this is we're not soccer players, right? We're basketball players. Like we don't need to warm up the same way a soccer team does by running around the field. I would can't stand that for five minutes. You run a certain way, and then counterclock the last five minutes. Uh, so they would do that, like you said, that knee stretch. I just think it's, you know, it's just a different mentality over there. And they love their two-a-days, right? You always come in the morning, either going to shoot or lift, and then come back in the evening, and you're going to practice. And so, like, I always tell people, like, if you're not in the Euro League or a Euro Cup, and you're just in a domestic league, like, you're paid to practice. Like, 10, what, 10, sometimes 11 times a week, and then you play one game a week. Like, you have to love this game, because... And your wife, your wife better be supportive if you're married and she's going to go over there, because it's not for it's not for spouses. It is it's not for it's, some countries are, but for the most part, 
It's just not. You got to love this no, game. No, no, it's a, it's a, and, and in fairness, it's a job, and they don't care. Um, and most other jobs don't don't care either. Uh, I think people in the states care a little bit more than they do otherwise. But it's fa- yeah. okay. So you decide to go into coaching. Yeah. What was and and here's the funny thing about Mark Pope, who you work for. I, he can he can attest to this story. So um, he and I think I don't know if he still has it. Does he still have the same cell phone number? Uh, no. He well, it's four years old now. I do know that. Okay, so four years ago, you go back before that, when he was at BYU, they gave him Dave Rice's cell phone, like the same number. Okay, so for Dave Rice's first couple of years at UNLV, I don't know if I saved Dave's new one or his old one, but I did a ton of UNLV games. Like one year, I did 13 UNLV games. And I'm telling you, like, ask Pope. I would like text him like, hey, can we grab coffee? And he would text me like, I don't drink coffee. I'm like, yeah, you do. You're not Mormon. He's like, yes, I am. And he's like, mess with me. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I know you're not Mormon. Like, yes, I am. And I'm arguing like, dude, I'm outside your office. Why would like, this is Mark Pope. What are you talking about? Like, oh, shoot. I didn't know. And he would, and for whatever reason, like, I don't know why. Maybe I just never deleted it or sometimes, but his, but Rice's number became his number. And even when he was at Washington, right, he'd still, I think he still kept the same number or, I don't remember who who was where, but it's actually so. Uh, what was the decision like to get into coaching? So I was overseas uh, my last year. I knew it was going to be my last year, and a buddy of mine was named, his name's Phil Cole, and he's now with the Spurs front office. But Phil was my teammate at Utah and was the uh, director of basketball, assistant director of basketball office position at Utah. So I kind of messaged him on emails like, "Hey, I've still got like five classes before I graduate. I actually never got my degree." And so I messaged him like, hey, can I come work some camps? You can throw me some classes. I'm, I'm actually going to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish. I'm going to get my degree. I'm so close. I'm retiring. I'm done. I'm get a job. But I'd love for some classes. And so he calls. He's like, hey, we can actually pay for it if you'll be kind of an undergrad student coach. It's kind of this weird little loophole where you're not – it's not quite a grad assistant because you're not doing your master's, but we'll pay for it. And we get the bonus APR point. You know, so he's like, it's a win-win for us. I'm like, yeah, sure. What do you need from me, though? Um, if you're going to pay for it and I can work camping, is that what you need for me? He's like, well, coach is just going to have you kind of be a student coach and you'll be on the scout team or, you know, might have you kind of be this liaison between players and staff. And, I was, and I've always kind of wanted to get into coaching because I've always I've enjoyed being around him and, and, and I love the game. So I thought this was a good way to see if I really wanted to do this. Fell in love with it. Of course, it's DeLon Wright's first year and Utah has had their best year, you know, since, you know, five or six years ago, since the Boylan era. <clears throat> so I loved it, was around it, and I was like, I want to do this. So I was talking to some guys on staff, like, help me out, what do I need to do? Like, I'll do whatever, I'll volunteer. So I kind of worked my way as a student assistant to <clears throat> Indian Hills Community College, which is a big-time junior college out there in Iowa, and was hired there full-time. And then while on the road and while recruiting, you get to know all these coaches. This is what you do, right? You network, and um, Mark Polk gets the job at Utah Valley, and I had a decent relationship with him, and I just cold call him like all of his coaches do as we're networking. I was like, hey. I don't know what you think about your staff. This is what I bring to the table. I'd love to do it. I'm all in. Um, so he interviewed me. He interviewed me at the Final Four and ended up working out. And then I'm there at Utah Valley for four years. And I've learned so much. You know, learned so much from him. And kind of now, you know, was able, lucky enough to still stay on staff with him. But that's kind of, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, 
I want to do this. How do I do it? And you, and someone in my position, right, as a former player, sometimes you, there's a stigma of big guys can't coach and former players just expect to have whatever. Where I was like, no, I'll, I'll do, I'll do whatever. If I got to volunteer, if I got to go junior college, I just, I just want to coach. I just want to be around these kids and learn. And so that was kind of my path six years ago. Um, and now, you know, I, I am where I am, which is yeah, assistant coach now at BYU. It's amazing. Um, how, how Mormon were you when you were traveling? Uh, say, wait, say that again. Say that again. I, I, I don't want to get you in trouble, BYU. Like, how Mormon? Like, no, no, no. I mean, like, you know, in terms of what you're eating, church on Sundays, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like how, how I'm Mormon, how, yeah. huh? I'm, very, I'm a very active member of the Mormon church. Like, I go to church on Sundays. I have a temple recommend. I go to the temple. I was just at the temple a couple weeks ago. So I'm a very active member. Don't drink coffee. Don't drink alcohol. Same with that. Like the honor code for me at BYU is is my lifestyle. I don't need to sign the honor code. Uh, other than like, I got to shave a little bit more now. Got to keep clean shaving. Where before I might go four or five days without shaving. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, like uh, I'm, I'm wait. So you got to you got sh- I, I didn't know that was part of the honor code. You have to shave every day. Yeah, I think you got to be. You, I, I'm pretty sure you got to be clean shaved. Um, you know, every couple of days you got to shave. Make sure it's no scruff and beard um so yeah that is that is part of the art of code and um God, so yeah so I, that was the only one maybe i had to kind of change my lifestyle a little bit with that because you know i might go like four or five or six days um just not just not shaving because i've never been asked to do it right i never actually held a job where they really cared about it or you need to be yeah. clean cut in terms of your that part so that's that's the only change i've made in my lifestyle is like i shave every day other than that though it's been such an easy trans and a fun transition because i live that lifestyle how do you convince a non-Mormon kid to come yep. play at BYU where there's no drinking, there's no smoking, you got to be clean-shaven, and there's going to be no sex during their time in college? <laughs> so I think you have to find the right kids, and, and you got to find the right kids. And what we do is like, hey, we're not about like, don't, we try not, there's nothing negative about it. We try to say, we want to find the kids that will embrace it. Kids that want to embrace the, of, of the, the standards we set right, the reputation that we want these kids to have. We want these kids to be all in on just being a student athlete. And, like, listen, there's things that do the BYU, and you're going to have great relationships with not just this, your, your fellow teammates and other athletes from football and things like that, but you're going to find other students you're going to go along with. There's some, there's some fun things to do here in college. There's a lot of students, like 30,000 student body. But my thing is, is I'm more of like I sell BYU, like the history, right, the, the Marriott Center fitting 19,000. The Dove CCs going against Gonzaga and St. Mary's, our preseason schedule, playing in Maui. You know, this summer we're taking the European tour. And our style of play, what Kaisel Coach Pope, what he's done in terms of transfers or in terms of high school kids and how he developed them. Our staff, all these kids want to be pros. Well, we've got two guys on our staff that, that played, have a combined 20 years of professional experience at all levels, you know, and we have. Um, and so it's what it's, it's more of, I try to sell those things and BYU, the atmosphere, the history, Jimmer, Danny Ainge, Brandon Davies, who's one of the best center. He was just named first team all Euro league overseas today. Like I sell that. And I try to get these guys to understand if they're all in on, on playing ball and working on their game and being around other guys who are about that as well, they're going to fit in just nicely. Right. And if these kids don't, and they don't want to buy in and they don't want to follow the standard, then those aren't the kids that we should be recruiting to BYU, right? And, the, and we find that out pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to be amazing. Um, any chance Yoli comes back? Um, 
I don't know. He's such a talent. <laughs> he's so talented. I mean, obviously, he's done so much for BYU the last few years. Um, I don't know. Coach Pope has been working really hard to try to educate him as best he can about the whole process, especially for Coach, right? Coach was a late second-round pick in the NBA draft and somehow fought and clawed his way into contract after contract year by year, right? So what better coach um, to talk to, right, in terms of how he made it in the NBA? And so I don't know. I think, the, the, uh, I think you know, all these kids, not just Yoli, even if they're, they're projected late second or not, they're, they're, their whole thing is, like we talked about, I'll just I'm gonna go I'm gonna go play professionally overseas or somewhere. I'm gonna play somewhere, whether it's the two way, whether it's the G League, whether it's overseas. It's hard, man. It's really hard. It's really, really, really hard. Everybody see you like it? It's like the yeah, it's the overseas thing, the G League thing, everything like okay. Or you could come back, you average twenty one this year, you could average twenty five and have a have a gymmer like a gymmer like season. Uh last yeah. thing, and this is important. You mentioned the big guy thing. Like there have been some great yeah. big guys as coaches. Phil Jackson, of course, yeah. is a big guy. Normally, um, coaches are former point guards, right? It's like managers yeah. are usually catchers, and point guards are seen as seeing the game. Give me yeah. something about Pope that he does, and you played for. You played for. I mean, I'd love to have another pod and try and have you name every coach you've ever played for. That would be an amazing <laughs> test of your memory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Something he does that you've never seen done before. I've never put. I've never played or worked for a coach that values the relationship with his players. Like he, he builds these, and, and you know he went to medical school, right? And so this maybe it's this like patient doctor thing that he has or just has in him. Even though he, he dropped out after three years, he develops these relations with these kids, whether whether he's recruiting them or he's got them like they're on his roster better than anyone I've ever seen. Like, they're always in his office. He's watching film with them. He's on the court with them. He's talking to them on the sideline. And these kids, like, are, they soak everything up. He just has a way, whether you're from Salt Lake City, Utah, from a Mormon family, whether you're from the inner city of Minnesota with no family, right, and you're, you're just broken home, whether you're a European kid, he finds, like, his whole thing is, like, how do, I want to get these kids to, I, I want to know how these kids tick and I want to know what makes them talk. And he's better than anybody that I've been around. And I know there's really good coaches out there. I do. But at the end of the day, like, hey, the relationships he builds with these players and these recruits and how he cultivates them and spends time with them and genuinely cares about their every little detail of their life is, is, is amazing. And it's rubbed off on me where with the hours and the rules we're allowed to spend with them, we're constantly doing that. We're constantly having there. We want these guys to come up to our office and talk to us. We want these guys to come in and watch them. We want these guys to get off the gun and, or to put the cones away and let us work you out. Let us, let us do stuff. Let us be on the court with you. Right. And that's why all his, his whole staff are former players, Nick Robinson, Stanford, myself, Cody figure works for Majerus as a head manager. was going to be a walk-on, but it decided he wanted to get into coaching. So he was a manager in Utah because he wants those players, he wants us coaches on the court with these players. And that's why I think he's, he's good at a lot of things, right? But I think that one, if I'm just talking about one, that's the one I think that he's better than anybody. Awesome stuff. 
Well, listen, I'm glad that your family doesn't have to move. I'm happy for <laughs> thank you. Uh, the success you. at the end of the day. We've known each other for a long, long, long time. Yeah. And uh, I really appreciate you spending some time. We'll, we'll hang out some this summer on the circuit. In the meantime, get we'll back to it. work because I'm sure at some point Mark Pope's going to be like, hey, wh- why have you been on the phone for an hour and a half with the guy? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll be all right. I'll just say I'm recruiting. Close recruiting here. So, no, I appreciate you having me on. It's always fun. I love talking to you. I love listening to your stuff and love following you. So, it, it was cool to come on. I appreciate it. CB, my man, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Doug. My thanks to Chris Burgess and my thanks to basketball. How good has basketball been recently? All right, we'll, we'll uh, react to all the results. Wait to hear next week's guest. Thanks for downloading, subscribing, and rating. Don't forget to tune in to the Doug Gottlieb Show, weekdays 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific. You can also catch us on Sirius uh, 217XM203. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.